Ag State of Mind, episode 19. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a podcast powered by the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today on the show we have Jeff Ditzenberger. Jeff is a farmer from Wisconsin who has a pretty incredible journey with his own mental health, and not only has he seen all the things that go along with mental health and experience them, he has overcome them and gone on to do some pretty great things, helping others battle their own mental health issues and rise above them. So I'm very excited for everyone to hear our conversation today. Stick around after the show. I've got a little bit of news where I'm going to be this coming week to where to check me out on my social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We have a pretty cool event that we're going to. So stay tuned till after my episode with Jeff to check that out and see where we're going to be. And I'll also invite you to go check us out on agstateofmind.com, my blog, my website. I actually just launched a page devoted to mental health resources. There's some of the ones where I have found myself to be very accessible and very usable. I'm getting suggestions to add to that page all the time. I had a good text from my friend Clay Connery where he was at a conference in Alberta this past weekend, and he was able to send me some mental health resources. So um, like I said, that page is growing all the time. And one of my other previous guests, Ben Gotchel, sent me some other links too. So I'm always accepting more, more resources because there's never enough of those. So please keep them coming to us. We greatly appreciate it. And without any further ado, here is my conversation with Jeff Ditzenberger. All right. Jeff, welcome to the show today. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today, Jason? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. It's uh, a pleasure to finally talk to you, and I've been very excited for this conversation for a long time, and again, want to thank you for taking the time to come on and have a chat with me. Well, not a problem. I, I hope we didn't set your standards real high to, to you know, disappoint <laughs> you and whatnot, but I'll do well, the best I can nonetheless. So. <laughs> well, I'm always excited to talk to anyone. Anybody, my wife will tell you, anybody who wants to talk to me, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm kind of like that okay, dog. Now I, don't, now, I don't feel, now I don't feel quite as special, but it, like I said, it's all good. We'll make it work. So, <laughs> so if you don't mind, start out, uh, give me a little bit of background, how, how you fit into the ag sector. Well, I was born and raised on a dairy farm in a little town called South Wayne, Wisconsin, in southern southern Wisconsin. We had, I don't know, five, six hundred people in the town. Left the farm when I was 17 and a half after high school, went to the Navy for four years, came back, uh, was in an ag-related business for a while. Actually, I've been either, I've either farmed or been in ag-related businesses ever since then, I, uh, except for a small stint that I worked at a wastewater treatment plant, which is kind of agriculture-related, mm-hmm. I guess, in the whole scheme of things, because it was at a cheese factory, and obviously I was doing stuff to take, take care of Mother Nature and the soil, but I was also a farm machinery salesperson for 20 years, an ag marketer for four, uh, worked for a marketing firm for one, and, and then... Uh, my now ex-wife, who also happens to be my neighbor and one of my <laughs> one of my best friends, I know that sounds really weird, but anyways, we were we were married for 16 years. We had a dairy farm together, and then now uh, I've partnered up with a neighbor, and uh, we're running about 900 acres of cash crop and hay. Which actually, I don't even know if we can technically say we run the hay ground anymore because I've rented all that out to my neighbor, who's like I said, my ex. But we're primarily corn and soybeans. I have a dog and a cat. I don't know if that qualifies me for anything or not, but I just thought I'd throw that in there anyways. Well, so in the 49, 49 years I've been alive, uh, I've always been part of agriculture. I was uh, 10 years Farm Bureau president, five years local organization that we have called Ag Chest, which is kind of a an agricultural dairy or an agricultural uh, uh, promotions organization. 
I was vice president of that for five years, uh, sat on Chamber of Commerce board and numerous other committees and whatnot. So my blood's run pretty red with agricultural background. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to get away from that. And, you know, as someone who grew up in it myself and I left it for I didn't I never really left it. I just went off to college to a non-ag based college, but you miss it pretty quick. And it's just something that you're born with. And just Mm -hmm. basically, I think you're it's impossible to get away from it. And I would agree with that because growing up, you know, it was kind of like every time that the things started to get fun at picnics and stuff, you had to go home and milk cows or yeah. you had to make hay all summer when your friends were at the lake and stuff like that. And, you, and I kind of, to be quite honest, Jason, I, I kind of built some resentment uh, because of it. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. uh, went I to the Navy common. and then I, yep. And then I went to the Navy and I was like, man, dad wasn't nearly as, as bad as I thought he was. <laughs> so I was uh, uh, start, starting from the first day of boot camp at three thirty in the morning. I pretty sure I screamed for my mother. But um, no, I, I think it. I think it stays in you, and I think you do come back to those roots at some point in time, or you or you find some way to to stay involved with it. I guess for for lack of a better term. So yeah, I would definitely agree with you. Yeah, it's it's just a different lifestyle and a different you know, and it's just something. I'll tell you a little story. We were, I had a breech calf a few years ago on, it was on Labor Day weekend and I had the vet come out. I couldn't do it myself. And, you know, we were sitting there talking, we watched, make sure after we got the calf out and everything, make sure everything was fine. I was sitting there talking to the vet and I said, you know, I'm the only friend I know of that isn't somewhere at a, at a lake or a river today, but I wouldn't change it for the world because, you know, this is my lake and my river. (laughs) Yeah. You know, this is what I I do to kind of fill that void. So. I agree. So you've done, you've had quite a battle, I, I would say, and it's a compelling journey that you've been on. So I want you to tell everybody about that. And it's still amazing to me to hear what you have went through and the way you have been able to come back from that. My childhood was okay. You know, being in a small town, you weren't, we weren't exposed to a lot. And then I got in the right. service and, uh, was exposed. I mean, my, my boot camp was in Great Lakes and then I went to Philadelphia for school and then California. And I'll tell you what, you know, when you're 17 and a half, uh, I celebrated my 18th birthday in boot camp. I was like, just getting out of boot. I don't remember. But anyways, um, mom and dad had a sign for me to get in. And when you raise your right hand and you're patriotic and, and you, you say that you'll defend your country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And then all in, in your mind, you're like, I'll never have to do that. And then you know, less than two years later, you're on a ship that carries nothing but ammunition and oil to supply the Seventh Fleet on your way over to Iraq. Uh, it kind of changes your perspective on things. <laughs> and in that process, too, there was some stuff going on back home. I got married very, very young. I got out of uh, A school in Philadelphia and got married and then was uh, basically shipped off uh, to California. First year of marriage, I saw my wife for a total of, I think it was 47 days. And, uh, Anyways, uh, get out of the service, come back. Didn't really adjust quite as well as I probably should have. Then about the fourth year of my marriage, um, there were some things going internally in our marriage that were not good. And I was working for a, um, a local dealership at the time, a local farm machinery dealership as a parts guy, actually, at that point in time. And also working for a local farmer, too. And things were starting to pile up on me. Um, actually, let me, I kick that back. I wasn't working for the dealership yet. I was actually working at the wastewater treatment plant. And there was some stuff that had happened that uh, the DNR got involved and the, the Department of Justice got involved. And, and I was kind of in the middle of it and was asked to do some things that weren't the way that I was raised. And anyways, started hitting the bottle, mm-hmm. um, started having some PTSD issues. Uh, first thing I did, Jason, is I asked to, to see a doctor, a psychiatrist, psychologist, and you know, they were out three months, you know, and this right. is back in 92, you know, and I was like, but I, you know, I'm like, I can't wait that long. I need to see somebody now. And, and finally they did get me in for a couple of appointments within two appointments. They had me on Prozac and Clonopin to, to try to even things out. And I think honestly, between you and me and the, and the fence post, it kind of made things worse. And then, uh, started to ask my friends, my guy friends for help. You know, I wanted to talk about the godforsaken word of uh, F word of feelings, you know, and they were like, <laughs> oh, dude, let's, you know, let's have another drink another or beer. let's, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I remember these words and I use these words in all my presentations and stuff because they annoy the crap out of me. 
but it was always suck it up, Buttercup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a man, you know. Do we need to pull your man card? You know, you're gonna have a sissy day. Blah 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 blah. And if you don't like, if you don't like it, get out. Yeah, yep. I like that one. Yep. Yep. So it it, it kind of drug me down even more, and to the point where I was actually putting alcohol in my coffee that I brought in my thermos. I would go to lunch and have a couple of beers with lunch. Uh, and then I would grab either a bottle or a six pack or a 12 pack or something on the way home and, and, and deaden the pain by the time I got home. And anyways, uh, threw a surprise birthday party for my mom and, um, drank very heavily that night and had an episode. I was on a volunteer fire department at that time. And what I found out through therapy finally later is that they think when my low battery alarm went off on my pager that it triggered something to me, but I had already been planning my suicide for probably the better part of two months. And I've had, and at this point in time, I'd had the note written. I had it in my pocket, readily available for about four weeks, and uh, decided that night was apparently going to be the night. Went into an old abandoned house, lit it on fire, and then it was kind of weird. Like it was almost like an out of body experience. And I looked and I saw myself there, and then all of a sudden, I kind of like did the like they do in the movies. You like shake your head, and it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> what the hell am I doing here? Got real. And Yep. And I left the house. I went to the next door neighbors, pounded on the door, um, called 911, responded with the fire department. It was the fire department I was on at the time, uh, responded with them. And, you know, he wouldn't let me do a lot. And I, something just didn't feel right, Jason. And I mean, I just, you know, I, I told him, I'll drive, I'll drive. And he's like, nope, you can run the radio. You can run the lights and radio. And, and the next day I got a call from the sheriff's department. And they wanted to talk to me because they thought they had some, they thought I would have some vital information on the the fire from the night before. Finished up milking cows. I wasn't feeling that good. As I was getting ready to go to the sheriff's department, the guy that owned the farm that I was helping with called me and he said, I, I think you've missed a couple of cows milking. And I'm like, no, I didn't. And he's like, well, I'm pretty sure you did. And, and I got kind of smart with him and he fired me on the spot. And so, <laughs> so I go from there to the sheriff's department, I talked to a detective and he's like, I, we're pretty sure that you lit the fire last night. And I'm like, uh, I said, I don't think so. Something doesn't seem right, but I don't think it was me. And he said, well, you got two choices. You, you can either go to jail or you can go up to the, to the psych unit. And of course I took the psych unit, which I'm glad I did. You know, there, there's a, st- you know, let's start with the word stigma right there. You know, mm-hmm. nobody wants yeah. to go to the loony bin. Nobody right. wants to go to the mm-hmm. insane asylum and type stuff. And, Man, I tell you what, those people were freaking phenomenal. Um, met, met a few other people up there that were struggling with some stuff. That was on a Tuesday afternoon. I had court. Uh, they came in they, they to take me to court. They, they put me in handcuffs and stuff. That was pretty humbling, to say the least. <laughs> you know, took me into court, charged me with felony arson and a couple other things. I don't remember I don't remember right now because the arson was the only thing at the end of the day that they, they actually did anything with. But here the whole time, still nobody asked me, you know, why did you do it? Why did you do it? Nobody's seen if I needed help, so on and so forth. I was home for a little bit, had another episode, and, and I checked myself into the, to the hospital uh, before I got anybody or anybody in trouble, including myself, obviously. And then went through all my court stuff, got nine months of jail time, got uh, five years probation, 390 hours of community service, and had to pay the $10,000 in restitution back. Still nobody asking me if I needed any help, if I was, you know, struggling, so on and so forth. Got into a men's group, though, at mm-hmm. our local human services and uh, met a gentleman there by the name of Rob. And he started helping me out. Like, we just clicked. And funny thing is, is to this day, him and I still talk on a regular basis. Yeah. But I was still bitter. Just all this, you know, trying to get in and trying to get the drugs regulated and trying to get all this stuff, you know, taken care of. Um, got remarried, uh, had a baby girl and pressure started getting to me again before she was even born. Pressure started getting to me again, started sneaking a little bit of some booze here, a little bit of booze there. Still pissed off at the world that I got what I thought was a raw deal. And then Thanksgiving of the first year that my daughter was born, about two days before that, I got arrested and uh, put on a probation hold. Got to see my daughter through a six inch piece of glass which kind of hit me pretty hard, sobered up again and got divorced, uh, had a son that was born. He was premature. Uh, stress got to me again. Um, and again, all these times that I had all these stresses, Jason, trying to get in to see somebody right, was like yeah. full teeth, uh-huh. you know? And so anyways, 
her and I got divorced. It was just, it was kind of a toxic relationship. Still had a lot of anger going on. I became a really, 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 really crappy stepfather to her son. Uh, and I just, I kind of wanted out and wanted to try things kind of on my own there for a bit. Met my wife, who I farmed with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually, the way I met her is that I sold her her family machinery. And her and her husband are fairly newly married, young couple, and I wanted to see them succeed. So I was, you know, talking to her and her husband because, you know, her dad and mom obviously weren't going to be there on the farm forever. And then um, became really good customer friends uh, with each other. And then uh, he actually died by suicide in front of her when she was, I believe, 22 or 23. And I found out about it a few days later and I felt bad. So I stopped out there to offer some condolences and stuff. And and helped her fix it. it was the middle of winter it's colder and crap and everything else and and we just we became really really good friends and we just kind of hung out for a while and stuff but i got a perspective there from someone who actually watched someone die by suicide in front of them you know no note left no real explanation other than they've been having an argument about buying these cows and, and so on and so forth so fast forward to 2013 and I was asked, and I had just wrote an article for Wisconsin Farm Bureau in regards to depression and suicide and mental health. And I got a, a phone call from... Uh, what year was this? Uh, 2013. 2013, okay. Yep. So I get a phone call from, from my friend Casey, who at that time was public relations guru at Wisconsin Farm Bureau. And he says, hey, my wife wants to talk to you about doing a speech. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay. So Dane County Safe Communities, which Madison is our capital here in Wisconsin, right? And, Dane, and, and that's within Dane County. Dane County Safe Communities wanted me to do a speech at what was called Guys Night Out, and okay. we were going to talk. We were going to talk about the F word, feelings. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I like, ah, yeah, I can do that. And so, anyways, the, the day we went up there, I'm not a speech writer. I like to do things like from the cuff. Right. I wrote this speech because it was, you know, there's a lot of statistics and stuff that I wanted to share with people and whatnot. And got about 15 minutes from the venue and I ripped up my speech and I threw it in my McDonald's <laughs> bag. And my uncle and my best friend that were with me are like, wasn't that your speech? And I'm like, yep. Yeah. Like, what are you going to talk about? And I go, I don't have a freaking clue. I said, but it just doesn't feel right. So, so we get up there and it wasn't just guys either. There was women in this. So I couldn't tell any of my female jokes. I mean, that would have just got me run out of town and tarred and feathered. So when I introduced myself or after they introduced me, I got up there and I started talking. I started talking about my Navy career. And all of a sudden it hit me that we were the second largest displacement ship in the Navy and next to an aircraft carrier. There's only a bigger ship than us with an aircraft carrier. And whenever we would get home and go to ports, we would have to, to call a tugboat. And whenever we went down really treacherous waterways or narrow waterways or, or whatever, we had to call a tugboat to get us there. And it hit me that that's kind of like life, Jason. Like you can be the biggest ship in the world and you can be as strong as strong can be, but every once in a while you need to call a tugboat to get you through life's little right. little treacherous times. Or, Sometimes or to get your you engine home breaks down too. Yep. So then as we were driving home, I said to Scott, who's my best friend, I said, hey, Scott, I said, I want to start a nonprofit. And he's like, dude, you already farm. Like, you need another one? Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. I like, I want to do like something that helps people. Uh-huh. And so then uh, Tugs was was formed, which is the nonprofit, the yeah. mental health suicide awareness support group that I started and founded back in 2013. And Tugs stands for talking, understanding, growing, and supporting. Uh-huh. And we get together, we, we talk about life's problems. It's it's very informal. It's not therapy, and uh, we're making some really big headway and doing a, doing a lot of good things. So that's kind of everything in a nutshell, I guess. Right, man. You like I prefaced this with that is it's an incredible story for a lot of reasons. But I I think the things that really stand out to me in it is, I mean, you went to the bottom of the barrel. You went the lowest of the low a few different times. And yeah, and I even kept, tried to, and I even, and I even tried to dig more. <laughs> yeah, but you were still, I mean, you still were able to overcome it again and again. And I think that's key. And when somebody is dealing with the with mental health issues, with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, even that sometimes it will. I mean, it's it's very possible that times it will get tougher before they get better and you know and there is these peaks and valleys in it and it's not something that you can 
ever really truly be cured of. It's something that you just have to learn to manage. And I think you've proven that point in that sometimes are easier than others. And I, I, I mean, I don't know if that's the way it is now, but I know a lot of people that that's the way they feel is it kind of comes and goes. Well, it's funny you should mention that because in 2016 or 17, I can't remember, I got my first ever DUI. And I, so I got divorced from Marie, which is the, the gal that I farmed with, who's my neighbor now, got divorced from her, got into a, what I thought was a great relationship, turned out to be a toxic relationship, hit the bottle once again, which, you know, that was my drug of choice. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and thankfully it was, it was that as opposed to some of the other stuff that's out there right now. And that is not a dig or a crack against the people that, that are struggling with that because that, that's a, you know, addiction is a real thing. I mean, you sure. can be addicted to spending money. You can mm-hmm. be addicted to food. You can be yep. addicted to, to heroin. I mean, there's a new, there's numerous things out there you can be addicted to. I happen to be at that time was addicted to alcohol. And anyways, I drove home one night and I'm always that guy. I mean, I'm a licensed bartender. I'm always that guy. That is like, if you need a ride home, give me a call. New Year's Eve, I never do anything. Hey, if you're out there and you need a ride home, give me a call. I don't care what time of day it is. I would much rather come and pick you up than to attend your funeral. Read read about you in the paper. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so anyways, um, I ended up hitting a guardrail. I took out 21 feet of it, and then I dropped straight down 45 feet. Oh, gosh. And basically walked away from me. Obviously, I I ended up dialing 911 myself. They came and got me, and I ended up the next morning at 7 o'clock in the morning in the detox uh, facility and they thought I was suicidal again and it's funny because the guy that got me out of the detox was was Rob the guy that I referenced earlier and that was like before that happened Jason I kind of started getting a little bit of a chip on my shoulder I mean I was you know doing a lot of things and I was feeling pretty good about myself but I was taking it to the arrogant side instead mm-hmm. of the, the confidence side and that was kind of a wake-up call again and it's kind of like you know, God kicked me in the butt and said, dude, I'm not going to give you any more chances. Get your crap together. You have a purpose here. I'm tired of saving you. You need to get your crap together and decide what you're going to, or you need to do what you know that you're supposed to be doing here. And, you know, and I went on Facebook, you know, at that time I had close to 3000 followers. I'm over 4,000 now. And I was honest with people. I came right out and said, I made a choice, you know, suicide's a choice. Getting help is a choice. Drinking's a choice. You know, all these things are still choices at the end of the day. And I chose to, to drive drunk. And, and I tell people when they when they start falling back on bad habits and stuff, you know, they, they get so down on themselves. And, and we're all human, Jason. If we weren't, if we were perfect, we wouldn't be here in the first place. But I, I think that I'm, I'm actually glad that that, that that DUI happened because, you, you know, it put a bunch of things back into perspective for me again. And, you know, it made me drive harder because... There's a lot of people out there that have that misconception that suicide or that, uh, excuse me, that mental health challenges are curable, that depression is curable, that mm-hmm. PTSD is curable. And I'm sorry, folks, it's not. Nope. It's manageable, right. but it is not curable. And, and, and people don't get that. And, and why is it that we can be in a society that if somebody sneezes in a grocery store, we would still shake their hand and give them a hug and tell them that, hey, so hope we feel, hope you feel better soon. Or if we know somebody's going through cancer and, and, and having chemo and they lose their hair, you know, we give them a hug and we give them a high five and we tell them, hey, I hope you feel better soon. I hope you beat this thing. But you tell somebody that you're bipolar and they look at you and they're you like, oh, well don't have, touch me because I yeah, don't want to. You, you have no, you, one yeah, you no well, kind of association. Yep. Yep. And, and I do that in my presentations. I'll shake people's hands and I'm like, guess what? You're not going to catch my depression. You're not going to catch my <laughs> yeah. bipolarism. You're not going to catch my anxiety. But we, we don't encourage, and, and honestly, at the end of the day, Jason, a lot of times, and, and I'll say this for myself too, a lot of times all people want is somebody to talk to, and that's what Tugs does. You know, we let people come into the meeting. You can sit in the back of the meeting room. You can eat our cookies and drink our milk and, and not want to participate at all. But when you hear Jason Meadows up in the front talking about his life experience, and all of a sudden it hits the nerve with you, and you go, my God, Jason's experience is just like mine. I need to talk to him. And then you guys talk and then you have a commonality so that when after, after sitting in the back of that room and you exchange your, your information with Jason, when you're having a bad day, you can text Jason and say, Jason, I'm having a bad day. And Jason will say, Hey, what's going on? And you'll say, Oh, well, so uh, the wife didn't make me breakfast this morning and I'm mad about it. And you'll say, dude, really? That's what you're upset about. (laughs) Yeah. But there's that other flip, and, and, and that's what that's what my my tug, which is Scott. That's what we do. Like if it's one of those things where you kind of need to be smacked upside the head with the text message, 
you do that because honesty is important. When people deal with depression and anxiety and all those things that go on with that, honesty is extremely, extremely important. You cannot lie to somebody with anxiety. It just totally throws them off. But if you're actually having a bad, a really, really bad day and, and you feel bad and maybe, you're, maybe you're, you're, your favorite cow died and you tell Jason that, Jason has felt, you felt that yourself before too, Jason. You can say, I remember what it felt like for me. What do you want me to do? Do you need me to listen? Do you need me to say something back to you to make you feel better? Do you need me to call someone else or whatever the case may be? And it works. Like that's what people want. People want someone to listen and not judge them. One of the other things that I do every single day, I used to do it with text messaging, but now I do it with Snapchat, is I send out 20 random Snapchats every single day. Some people have started to ask me to send them to them daily, but I'll find some inspirational saying, or maybe I'll videotape myself saying, hey, hey, you, yeah, you listen to this. You're awesome. Have a great day. And I'll send it out to those 20 random people. You want to know the surprising part of that is, is that every single day I have at least a 50% response rate of people that say, I needed to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I get that. And I think the most important thing about what you said there is you talk about where the difference, the, the things that go in your head and getting someone to bounce that off of. And because you don't know if it's just you, if you're isolated and you don't have anybody that you're comfortable to talk to about, you can't tell the difference in whether you, the way you feel about if your wife didn't cook your breakfast right, or if your favorite cow died, or if you're actually thinking about doing harm to yourself. When you only have yourself to deal with, when you only have yourself to, that you bounce those ideas off of, they just go around in circles until it gets into a really dangerous, dark place. But the important thing I think that you were talking about that is being done is people are talking to one another and able to have someone to hold them accountable, someone to let them know that, you know, things are okay or things maybe that, whoa, that's, you know, that's something you need to take a look at, you know, somebody, somebody else, an outside source to, to put these things off of, because I think that's where we get in trouble, especially people in agriculture who are so independent and so, mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to go isolated. and say it. They're isolated. Isolated. Yeah. And stubborn and, you know, don't lend themselves to outside help a whole lot. And to hear that and to know that there are people who are struggling, who are able to talk to one another and get that going, man, that's so awesome. I, it's such well, a great thing. The other thing along with farmer isolation in pride, you know, the pride that, that farmers have, you know, is that the guys and gals that are farming, they don't really have the time to take care of themselves. And they'll tell you that, you know, and, and, and I'm saying that a little bit tongue in cheek because I, I don't entirely agree with that. But, you know, insurance is an issue. So they're like, well, I don't want to spend the money to go there. And then it's like, well, what if they have to hire somebody to take care of the chores for the day? Because, you know, maybe they're, maybe the closest place they can go to is an hour away or something like that. So then it adds another stress to it. And I've had people, non-agricultural people, when I give my presentations to non-agricultural, and I kind of specialize in agricultural, the agricultural Mm -hmm. side of it, just because I speak the language. Um, That's not what Tugs is about. I mean, Tugs has kind of been put into a little bit of a pigeonhole that way, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But we will talk to anybody when it, when it comes to suicide and suicide prevention and, and that kind of stuff. But the other thing with the, with the agricultural side of it or the non-agricultural side of it, when I, when I talk to them about this, they're like, well, why don't they talk to their family members? Well, their family members are going through the exact same thing. And, right. I'm, yeah. and, and that's a struggle. You can't – if you play football and you're a quarterback and you talk to another quarterback, are you necessarily going to learn what you need to learn from the person who does the exact same thing you do? No, you're probably going to talk to your receivers or you're probably going to talk to your fullback or your halfback or whatever the case may be, because those are the people that are, that are getting the ball from you. They're, they're, that's where that, not that you can't talk to a fellow quarterback, right. but you're not going to get as much. So from a farmer standpoint, when you, when, when a farmer talks to, to a farmer about frozen water cups, guess what? His neighbor has frozen water cups too, and guess what? They they irritate his neighbor too. So you're not you have the commonality, Jason, but you don't have the answers of to how do I deal with that? You know, and that's one of the things that I I think that I myself personally try to do, and that's one of the things that my organization tries to do is that 
we understand and we can stay on the outside and go, you know what, you're not alone. And it's different when you're talking to somebody who's going through the exact same thing as opposed to someone who's telling you you're not alone. Because farmers right now, 90% of them that I talk to feel alone. They feel they feel sheltered and they feel, you know, you, if any of them are on social media, I mean, you see the stuff going on with GMOs and Monsanto this and and organic is better than non-organic and and the trade war and and the price of corn hasn't gone up the price of beans haven't gone up the price of milk has well the price of milk's come up now but but all their expenses are up and it's just gloom and doom who the heck are they going to talk to about it yeah when everybody's down in the dumps that's not helpful you know there has nope. to be somebody who can see above that and see beyond you know a, a watchman on the tower type person and mm -hmm. or people as it may be and it's funny you say that about different farmers i talked to dave pratt a few weeks ago on the show and he talks about how you should go to one of his ranching for profit schools somewhere other than close to where you are because then you're able to see the challenges that other people also go through and you're not pigeonholed into that same sort of you know kind of mentality yeah, that mentality, and you have different people to bounce ideas off of and, you know, a different mindset. And when you expand your circle of influence, then, you know, you're only able to grow. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing we're talking about here, or at least that's what I thought of anyway. Well, and I would, I would, I would agree with that because it's kind of like when I was in agricultural sales and I sold machinery. And I've, I've sold for John Deere, I sold for New Holland, and I sold for Case IH. So I sold mm -hmm. for all three of the majors. Mm -hmm. Um and the thing of it is, is I was able, you know, that's one of the reasons that I, I became a consultant. You know, I, the, I would go to a farm and I'd be there to try to get the farmer to buy a piece of machinery from me. Or maybe I was doing a cold call, you don't, you know, whatever. But I'd see them, you know, struggling with, uh, you know, with the baby calf. And one of the things that my wife did was, uh, our ex-wife now, but one of the things that she did when we had calves that would get sick is she'd give them a raw egg and a ripe banana. <laughs> and they would pop out of like 90% of the stuff that they were having trouble with. And so then you tell the farmer's wife or you tell the farmer himself or herself, uh, you know, hey, we just had that exact same thing happen with a calf of ours. This is what we did and it did fine. And then the next time you go back there two weeks later and here's this calf bouncing around, around like crazy. And they come to you and they're like, you like saved our calf and thank you for that information. And, and you get those ideas ideas spread around because a lot of times, and I'm not saying this to be disrespectful to, to farmers in any way, shape or form, but if we watch our neighbors, we always try to do it a little bit different so that we don't look like we're yeah. trying to copy the Joneses yeah, or keep yeah, up with the Joneses, yeah, yeah. you know? It's a you bit know? of a, it's kind of a scarcity mentality type thing. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And, and you know, they're, oh, let's keep up with the Joneses. Oh, I see they got a new rake. Well, we're going to get a new baler, you know, mm -hmm. and just, just enough to just just enough to do and it's not it's not mean it's not derogatory it's, it's just, just the that, way it is yeah I right get it. but but the thing but the thing of it is is that i always laugh because i had a customer that had the, had this happen i would sell him a piece of equipment the guy next to him would buy almost the exact same thing not the same brand right. the exact same thing and i said to him one time i go you guys run ground right next to each other you're both struggling to get your stuff done why don't one of you buy the baler and the other one buy the rake and then it's you guys can the work time. together yeah because i mean and, you, you can't rake and you know it's hard to rake and bail at the same time you know yep, i mean it all, only makes all of sense. a sudden guess what they're working together and i think life's the kind of the same way you know if you have a special talent that you can can take to somebody or, or to, to help them out or to enrich their life i mean i to me that's that's what it's about it's not about being in competition it's not about trying to one-up the the other guy or anything like that it's it's about trying to find a commonality that makes makes things work together and i will say to the people out there that are not farming that are listening to this here's the thing that i would ask you to do if you know of a farmer one 90 percent of us have an open door policy if you want to come on our farm you know especially except for with the animals i mean i obviously ask permission we get there sure. but if you show up with like a cake or a dozen <laughs> cookies and some chocolate milk and you tell us that you're super happy and and thank us for what we're doing, man. We'll have a conversation with you. And I Heck and yeah. I've done it. I've done it even when I was with the marketing firm. You know, I would get up in different parts of Wisconsin, and and uh, when I was up in those different parts of Wisconsin, I would stop into 
to farmers I didn't even know. And I would, and I would take them some donuts and stuff. And cause I wanted to learn more about their operation. You know, here's a potato farmer. I've never potato farmed. I want to know what it's like, but, but when you appreciate them, then that might be that day that everything changes for them where they're just like, man, there's somebody out there that actually cares about what we're doing. And that's a big part. And I, I don't know if it gets mentioned enough. It does get mentioned, but I don't think people maybe don't understand the impact of that, of people outside, people, consumers, people who don't understand um, the farm, the ranch, the lifestyle, the business, the operation, you know, that they don't understand this and the stresses that they've all, and you get these politicians start putting things into out of context and you know these activist groups and you know you start to worry about where people are getting their information that's mm -hmm. super super stressful and i know that's mm -hmm. a big issue and especially that's been a really big issue in the dairy sector and it's hitting the hogs and it, it'll hit you know it's hit cattle before too and it's it's a scary thing because you know there's people who and don't get me wrong there are people who do do wrong that's that's without a mm -hmm. doubt there are people who aren't who and they should be reprimanded in any possible way but for the most part people care about these animals and care about this ground and care about the crops that they grow and they care about the consumer and the people who are getting the end product because if there is no consumer there's no in there's the cycle's broken and yeah well let's be honest let's be honest jason none of us out here are going to put anything in front of anyone else that we wouldn't put in, wouldn't front, put of in front of our family yep mm -hmm. yep i totally yep absolutely Yep. And we spend a lot of time arguing over, you know, whose practices are better than another person's. And, you know, there's there's a time and place for that. And those are discussions, but there's beginning to be a lot of infighting, too, that is getting kind of nasty. And I just uh, I don't like it. Well, it's kind of like, you know, the, the difference between organic and non-organic. And my personal opinion is everybody's got a place. You know, there <laughs> yes, are a lot of yes. people to feed out there. There's people still going hungry every night. You know, we don't need to fight amongst ourselves. There's enough other people from a, from an agricultural standpoint you know, fight against us anyways, you know, but we've got a job to do. I mean, we have to feed people and that, that population just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, I'm not going to have a conversation with you, Jason, on how to do uh, heart surgery. Mm -hmm. That's what a heart surgeon is going to do. Right. But I can guarantee you that you can come onto my farm and I can tell you the best practices that I'm doing and I can tell you exactly how they're working and I can tell you that the sweet corn that you're eating that I grow is the best that there is out there. And guess what? It's the truth. Mm -hmm. And why is it the truth? Because I'm the one doing you know it. it. I know exactly what's, what's going on. You know, I don't have anything to hide. And it's kind of like my story with mental health and suicide. I have nothing to hide. And the reason I have nothing to hide is because everybody struggles. There's there's not a person out there that that doesn't have sad thoughts or even bad thoughts for that matter, and right. and it's how you act on them. But we as a society need to get rid of that stigma. You know, we need to start telling people it's okay to not be okay. We yes. need to tell people that they matter. We need to tell people that that they are very important, whether it's to their children or to their own parents or to their community or whatever the case may be, everybody has value. And I do a little demonstration when I give my speeches where I take a brand new $20 bill and I ask the people in the audience, who wants this $20 bill? Of course, every hand goes mm -hmm. up. And then I take it and I fold it up a little bit and I say, who wants it now? And they still want it. And then I unfold it and I crumple it up really, really tight and, <laughs> and get it all crumpled up. And I go, who wants it? And they still want it. And I throw it on the ground and I step on it and I, and, I, and I act like I'm spitting on it. And I'm like, who wants that $20 bill? And it's kind of funny because then you don't get the hands up quite as quick. Mm -hmm. And I grab that $20 that I crumpled up, spit on, stomped on, $20 bill. And I bring it back up and I unfold it and I smooth it out. And I go, who wants it now? Mm -hmm. And their hands go back up. And the message behind it is, no matter how beat up, tore up, stepped on, spit on, crumpled up you are that $20 bill is just as valuable Still worth $20. after it's been uncrumpled as what it was brand new yeah what a cool imagery that you were able to come up and that's that's really important I think to when you're giving speeches to keep people captivated to have an analogy or to have an allegory type mm -hmm. thing to where you can and then and I mean Right here, I mean, I was intrigued listening to you tell this, and I could see you up there telling that story and crumpling up the $20 bill, and 
yeah, you know, of course, it's still worth $20. It'll still go buy you $20 worth of goods at the store, you know, $20 worth of gas to put in your truck, you know, no matter if it's brand new straight from the mint or if it's, you know, been kicked, rolled around the dirt, whatever. And that's the same way we are. I mean, as people, we're all worth it. We're all worth something. We are all good enough. And that's a hard message to get across to some people because they felt so downtrodden for so long that it's hard to get themselves picked back up. But what you're doing, what you're getting, you know, like you say, you send out 50 or so Snapchats and just telling people. 20, that let's not get carried away. Let's not get carried away. It's just 20. <laughs> well, I think you should step up your game then to 50. <laughs> well, it's 20. I guess I should take that back. It's 20 random. And then I have like, I don't know, 15 or 18 of my, of my friends that are like, dude, can you send me that every single day when you send the other ones out? So I kind of uh, up there just a little bit, but you, you just triggered something in me that I, that I want to, I want to touch on real quick, Jason. And I think it's important as you, you know, you talked about how people, you know, have their things going on and stuff like that. Two years ago, there was something that happened. I don't even remember what it was. It was something local. And one of my friends, they're not a close, close friend, but we, we know each other pretty decent who didn't know my history put on a comment on this, whatever it was going on. I wish you could remember what it was now. But anyways, he, he said, all felons are jackasses and they shouldn't have any rights ever. And I think it was about voting, maybe. I don't remember exactly what it was. And so anyways, I said something to him. I said, so do you truly believe that? And he's like, well, yeah, felons are, they're the ones that are getting guns and they're the ones doing this and they shouldn't be allowed around children. And they should I go, you realize I'm a felon, sure. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but yours, like, what was yours? Yours was just for, for that house thing, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that's different. No, no, it's not. Because no, you I, just generalized. Right. You just generalized that all felons are bad people. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, my stuff's not hidden. Everybody knows about it. Plus, it's public record. If you want to go check it, go check it out. I, I really don't care because it was a time in my life that I'm not proud of, but it's made me who I am. But, but that's the kind of things that we need to stop doing. We need to stop generalizing. Because there's some really, 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 really amazing people out there that I work with on a regular basis that have some of the worst history that you could ever imagine. It's kind of like the football player, you know, who's now a multimillionaire who's given millions of dollars to local charities and stuff to help out kids that were homeless because he was homeless when he was little. And he decided not to let it entirely affect his entire life, but in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There is so much good, even from people who have done some really terrible stuff because, you know, I'm not sure how religious or biblical of a man you are, but that's the whole idea behind repentance. You can do some terrible things, but there's always room for you to come back and make up for the bad that you've done. And a hundred percent, I believe that. You know, I, I am actually ordained. And one of the things that I, I always get a kick out of is that, you know, you don't have to even believe in a higher power to be kind to people. Yep. Oh, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I mean, I think it helps, but I know some very, very kind people who are not religious. And, you know, that's a discussion that probably for another day, but it's really doesn't take that much more effort to be that kind person. I, I, you know, I don't think, I mean, maybe, you know, especially just a little bit at a time. Yep. Yeah, and I, you know, I have a, I have a plaque right here on my kitchen wall that I'm looking at right now that was given to me not too terribly long ago. And I'm a true believer in karma. I believe mm-hmm. that what you give is, is what you get. And it says, do good, and good will come to you. And I, and I truly believe that. You know, I had a friend not too long ago that's very negative all the time. And I finally said, you know, he was complaining about this and complaining about that. And I says, do you realize that you never talk about anything good? And I would send him something like. Hey, blah, blah, blah. You did this, you know, good job. Well, nobody cares or, Oh, you know, it's what I'm supposed to do, you know, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I, and then finally he, he, there comes a point in time where you get tired of, of the grinding, getting ground on you when it's someone else. And I flat out said to him, I said, I said, I will, I will bet you 50 bucks that if you start having positive mentality and positive attitude, more than you do negative, things will start turning around. And sure enough, Within about, I don't know, three months, better job, got into uh-huh. a really good relationship with a really nice girl, and his kids started to come around seeing him more and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of good out there, and I just don't think we focus enough on it because it's easier to have the negativity out there. And again, when we're talking about farmers, you know, they don't necessarily see all that. But I always tell the farmers, I'm like, 
hey, you know what? Maybe your crops weren't the best this year, but you got them done. Or maybe maybe you didn't get top dollar for that calf, but that's that calf that you really struggled with when it was first born. Or right. or yeah. you know, I mean, there's always there's always I, I'm not. There's always that silver lining. I, you know, there's it's always cliche, positive to be found. But there's, there's always, always po- positive. To, yep. Absolutely. Yep. I had a, I had a friend of mine dying from cancer, and we were having the conversation, and she's the sweetest gal ever, and she was so upbeat about it. And I said to her one day when we were talking, I said, you know, I said, Melissa, why you're you're dying? Like you, there any day now you could you could potentially die, and and you know this, like been given you know five to six months. I says, and and you're just the happiest person ever. I said, how is that possible? And she goes, because I know I'm going to die. I've been told that. She goes, but so many people go through life. And she goes, you and I could be having this conversation right now. You could get into your vehicle and leave my house. And 15 minutes from now, you could have somebody blow a stop sign and hit your vehicle. And you'd be dead. And you wouldn't have any inclination that 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 was going to happen. She goes, I've been given that sentence or that, I forget what the word she, that she wasn't sentenced. But she's been, I've been given that, that date. Like this, Uh I know what this time frame is. She goes, and the other thing is, is my grandmother still owes me $20 from a Euchre game a few years ago, and I'm going to go collect it. And I, you know, I left that conversation, Jason, and I cried for 25 minutes. And not so much that I was sad that I was going to lose my friend, but more for the fact that she was so happy and positive. And and, and she found that, and I was happy that she was happy. You know, you, you feel sorry for people in situations like that. She didn't want people to feel sorry for her. She just wanted somebody to listen to her little story and, and give her an opportunity to, to say something that was going to improve someone's life. And guess what? She did. And I remember that story, and I will tell that story a million times because it has more value to me than probably anything else that's probably ever happened in my life. Because here's someone with one of the worst possible things going on that still found positivity in it. Oh man, that's great. That's man, it's so powerful to find something like that because she had every reason to be to be upset. She had every reason to be downtrodden, and you know, because her life, you know, on this earth anyway, was was about to be done. But why not enjoy those last few days? And man, what a powerful lesson we can learn from people like that. But it's, you know what, Jason? Why not enjoy every day? Ex- no, a hundred percent. I totally agree you know, with and, that. It's way you know, too that- short to. There it is. Yep, there it is. I just did a funeral for a 27-year-old mother of three, and it was the worst funeral I've had to do yet. I mean, you think when somebody's 90, they've lived a good life, you know, 80, they've lived a good life. 27 with two little guys, you know, and and taken, and she lived her life to the fullest, and by God, that's one of the things that I hope... Yep. I hope that if something were to happen to me tomorrow, I I don't want any regrets. I want to be able to, to take my last breath and say, you know what? I did, I did the best I could. I lived the best that I can. And by God, it is what it is. Yeah. Great, man. Well, Jeff, um, we're running kind of short on time. You were right when you, thought, when you thought when you said that we were going to go <laughs> quite a bit over. And I'm glad, man. I enjoyed every second of it. Man, this was a really powerful conversation that we had here today. And you know, you've helped me, you've made me feel better just by talking to you. And I can tell that about you that, you know, you just have that infectious personality and you're really putting it to great use. So I want to give you an opportunity. Are you online? Are you at, you say you have Facebook, you're active online. Where can people find you and find some of the work that you're going to put out there? Right now, I'm still doing everything just on my personal page. I share all kinds of different stories and stuff on my personal page. If you, uh, Go to Facebook and, and search Jeff Ditzenberger. Uh, I'm not the guy that has the rock band, and then apparently there's another one in Florida. But uh, you're the anyways, one wearing Wisconsin uh, Badgers gear. Yes, exactly. Uh, you can friend request me. I do have an email address that uh, you could use if you want to get a hold of me, and I'll give everybody get a second to get a piece of pen and paper. But it's pretty simple. It's Tugs T U G S Group G R O U P at gmail.com you can send me an email we are getting in the process my board of directors and i have talked uh we are going to do a fundraiser here shortly with some t-shirts and some sweatshirts and stuff like that our next goal we want to do is to launch our facebook page and to launch our website but this this monster that we've created we've wanted to make sure that all the t's are crossed and the i's are dotted and stuff like that so i'm super 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 excited to be able to start doing some of this stuff but finances i've basically paid for everything 
that we've done since 2013 out of my own pocket. And now things are starting to get to be a little more expensive. So we're going to start trying to raise some money to be able to do some of those other things. And then hopefully at some point in time, maybe start giving out scholarships, especially for those high school seniors that are thinking about getting into the mental health practice fields, uh, social workers, that kind of stuff. We want to do that. But right now, again, like I said, you can friend request me on Facebook, uh, Jeff Ditzenberger. Uh, if you can't find me and you're friends with Jason, you can probably piggyback off of him. Yeah. Sometimes people have a hard time following. Uh, otherwise, you can email, email me again, like I said, at tugsgroup at gmail.com. Yeah, and we'll put we'll put links to all that in the show notes so uh, people can go check it out after they listen to this. So, uh, Jeff, man, this was awesome. I want to talk to you again sometime once you get stuff really up and rolling, once you get a Facebook page and, you know, you start doing, you know, start billing because I want to see where this goes and uh, keep me updated. I'll make sure if even if we aren't talking, I make sure and mention you in an intro to an episode or something. That way we can uh you know, I, I, you're doing a great thing, man. You're doing what's needed to be done. And, uh, you know, I want to, I want to help you as much as I can. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, the, the, the last thing I'm going to say before we part ways, Jason, is that I would ask everybody out there, if you can't do anything else, just be kind, be yeah. kind to the people you come in contact with, say a kind word, give them a kind smile, you know, pay it forward, maybe buy somebody's coffee or person behind you in line at the fast food restaurant or something like that but be kind. Yeah. Oh man. Amen. I love it. Well, Jeff, thanks again, buddy. I appreciate it. And, uh, I look forward to speaking to you again real soon. All right. Sounds good, Jason. Peace out. Yeah, man. Thanks for sticking around this week. You can catch Levi and I, my son, we are heading down to the NCBA trade show and cattlemen's convention in San Antonio, Texas. We will be there. We'll arrive on Tuesday evening, attend the session of Cattlemen's College Tuesday evening, and then all day on Wednesday. And then we'll be there for the general sessions on Wednesday and Thursday and the trade show. So we're going to be hopping on some Facebook Lives. I'm going to maybe sit down and do a few small interviews with some people I see. Those will be on our social media pages. Check us out on Instagram, Ag State of Mind. And I also will be doing some on the Global Ag Network Instagram. So go check us out on both of those places. I'm really excited for this opportunity. Last year in 2019 at the NCBA trade show and convention, that's where the seeds of this podcast were sown. I met Mary Jo Ehrman. I met Tim Hamrich. Both of them being very instrumental to me starting this podcast, and it kind of grew from there. So that 2019, I hope we have the same kind of experience in 2020, sowing roots and making connections. That's what an event like this is for, is making connections. So if you are going to be at CattleCon in San Antonio, give us a shout, either on our email or um, on one of our DMs on our social medias. Um, Levi and I will be there in attendance through Tuesday through Friday. So um, next week on the show, we have a very cool guest as well. It's Jessica Peters. Jessica has done some phenomenal work with mental health and agriculture through her social media pages, mainly through her Instagram page and through some other avenues. She's a wonderful, wonderful resource. She's a dairy farmer from Pennsylvania and has really seen what the good can come out of reaching out and being a advocate for mental health and agriculture. So we're really excited to talk to Jessica next week. So um, without anything else, I've been your host, Jason Meadows, and this has been the Ag State of Mind podcast. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.